it is strange to start a show where we talk about the origin of this show before we actually even talk about what the show's about. But so here we go. This show came up because Rob Kelly got snarky on text messages with Alan and Celine one day. And I saw the Lifetime Grand Prix docuseries come across my Instagram feed. A bunch of people sent it to me for comment, critique, or just because they were curious to see how I would respond to it. And I watched the first 30 seconds or the first minute of the first uh, episode of it, and I kind of lost my mind and lost my cool. And so got snarky on the phone with Alan and Celine, and Alan put me in my place correctly and said that you can't judge a book by its cover, so you can't judge a docuseries by, you know, the first 30 seconds or a minute. And he made me watch the whole thing. And so then, because Alan had made me watch the whole thing, I had Celine watch the whole thing and Alan cajoled her into doing it as well. So all three of us have watched the Lifetime docu-series Call of a Lifetime. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it because the first episode of this season is all about the media. And this documentary is a great episode or great example of what non-traditional great media could look like in the guise of Criterion Racing, but this just happens to be about racing on dirt. So that's it. That's the intro. That's the origin story of it. So thank you, Alan, for putting me in my place. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if we had a podcast every time Rob got snarky about something, um, we would have a whole lot more than like 103 episodes or whatever we're at. But yeah, I had the advantage of having already watched all the episodes before you two did. So I knew that it was going to like be worth the time of watching all six. And Celine might point out in a second that watching this documentary forced or caused or inspired me to get on my gravel bike and ride not road for one day. So Celine do you think this documentary has fundamentally altered the landscape of bike racing forever? I think it has, uh, at the very least, given you an identity crisis, which is pretty fun to watch. But as far as the landscape of bike racing, yeah, I would say it's done a pretty good job creating some some hype around off-road and dirt and giving people particularly professional cyclists, a place to showcase their talents and get paid for it. And also to showcase the awesomeness of their van life and or ironic mustaches. Yes. None of those mustaches are ironic. (laughs) (laughs) So Alan. Which is the scary part. (laughs) Alan, you got it. We're like, what are we? Somewhere close to three or four minutes into the show and nobody has said a good catchphrase. Can you hit us with a catchphrase? Who are we? What are we doing here? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, this is not um, Grodio, which you might be familiar with on the Wide Angle Podium. This is actually Criterium Nation, weirdly enough. Uh, but in our effort to live life one quarter at a time, we are expanding the quarters? Making them making them I dirtier? I don't know. Throwing a little bit more gravel? <laughs> It's it's winter time. There's there's no crits to corner right now, so this is like our uh, our de facto gravel corner for the year. So Celine, we are a part of the wide angle podium. What the heck is it? I was gonna say we are a proud part of the wide angle podium. I think that was my line. You just took it. <laughs> That's true. I did totally take it. But who are the wide angle podium? What is it? Um, we are. That's a great question. Um. <laughs> I'm panicking right now. <laughs> Didn't have this part on the on her script. Yeah. Are we not the world, the Internet's premier source for independent cycling content on the Internet? Is that not what the Wide Angle Podium is? It sure is. That's exactly what it is. And if you want to find out more about it, there's a website called WideAnglePodium.com where you can find out about the full bevy of shows, including the aforementioned Grodio Gravel plus radio equals Grodio, covering the premier, the pointy end of the gravel peloton. And, you know, Cyclocross Radio doing the lion's share of the great coverage on Cyclocross, Nowhere Fast, talking about bikes that are electronic and don't go anywhere. And then there's 
the Slow Ride Podcast. Alan, do you in any way, shape, or form know how to describe what the Slow Ride Podcast is? Uh, I would say if you've pretty much like listened to the last or the first five minutes of this podcast, you're going to get a pretty good idea of what you could expect from them. Uh, maybe a little bit wittier and uh, a broader spectrum of topic. They do cover all the rail biking all the time. Alan, who are we brought to by who has brought us to the fans of this show this week? This week and most weeks were brought to you by Source Endurance. They are an online coaching platform, not just coaching, but you can get uh, dietary advice. You can get pre-made training plans, um, really anything you need to live your best endurance sports life. You can find at Source Endurance or at their website, which is source, source-e.net. And if you use the code Criterium Nation, which is a single word, you will get some amount of percentage off of whatever you get from them. $50 off the very first month of coaching. So it's like a, a kickstart for your introduction to becoming the better version of yourself. And Alan, you've become a better version of yourself because you are a Source Endurance athlete. Have been pretty much my whole cycling career, and I've also gotten better at cycling every year. So proof is in the pudding, my friends. While we're talking about Alan's accomplishments and diving into dirty corners, have we bragged about Alan's accomplishments over the winter yet? No, we haven't necessarily had a show where we've had the opportunity to talk about baby master national champion in cyclocross, Alan Schroeder. Congrats. I mean, I think everybody's seen it on the old social media at this point. Nevertheless, it's on brand for this show. Yes, to be a day late and maybe not a dollar short, but to at least get the opportunity to say, Alan, did you sleep in that jersey the first night? <laughs> Actually, I did. Uh, the jersey that they gave me for winning the 30 to 34 cyclocross national championship was really uh soft and cozy so it made for a good a good night's rest in cold connecticut back in december and then you lined up for the elite national championship that's what they call it in cyclocross against you know curtis white and carrie werner and lancy pants hadet and eric brunner like the best of the best and there's that epic video of the first time going down the off camber where everybody basically slid right into the fencing. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen that video, I definitely recommend going and watching that because uh, it's hilarious, honestly. Um, but yeah, raced the Baby Masters Wednesday, raced Elites on Sunday. Uh, it was snowing during our race Sunday. It was pretty much as epic of cyclocross uh, conditions as you'll ever see. And it was tons of fun. Cold, but really, really fun. Great way to end the year. So let's talk about one thing that happened that was really kind of unique last year, which is the Lifetime Grand Prix. Celine Allen, I have to admit, I didn't really super follow the Grand Prix as it happened. I knew about it because friend of the show, Amanda Nauman, was a competitor in the Grand Prix and it had a lot of media going on around it. But, you know, as far as just for people who are fans of this show who might not necessarily know about mountain bike and gravel, what was the Grand Prix? What was the Lifetime Grand Prix? It was a selection, I will say, selection or collection of six events all owned by Lifetime Grand Prix that they combined into one Super Series, I suppose. It was made up of primarily, well, I guess strictly gravel races and mountain bike races, so mass start events. And they selected 30 men and 30 women through an application process and, yeah, pitted them against one another over this, this six-race series for a grand prize purse of $250,000, which was really, you know, the big draw to everybody. Uh like when they first announced the series, that was kind of the headline thing was that there was going to be this big prize purse at the at the end of the series. Celine, have you ever competed for two hundred and fifty thousand? I have not yet. <laughs> what level of motivation do you think that would bring to an athlete knowing that you could walk away from six races with a prize of two hundred and fifty? Well, it's interesting because if you get to the end of the series and you see how much the individuals earned 
in hindsight, it's not that much. I think first place got like 25,000, something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I could be I could be wrong. But I think the the bigger deal is just the exposure that you get and yeah, like a, a couple thousand dollars that's pretty awesome too. But the exposure that you get and then the sponsorships and the sponsorship money that comes with that, I think is an even bigger deal because um, you can really have a proper living off of sponsorship money that you would be getting in from winning something like that. Yeah, I think one thing that they really didn't touch on through, you know, the Call of a Lifetime series, uh, video series was sort of the impact that just being a part of that series like had on people's careers. Um, I think in one of the episodes, maybe Sophia touched on it, but yeah, just being a part of that meant you really could like make a living being a cyclist just from doing these six races. And so if nothing else, like that is sort of like, I don't know, I don't want to say revolutionary, but it's a, it's a change from what we've seen in American cycling the last 10 years. You know, when you break down the money, it's 250 per for men or it's 250 for men and women meaning it's 125,000 between the genders 10 places deep so the you you are 100% right that 25,000 was first place 20 was second 16 was third you go all the way down to 10th which was only $6,000 for you know 6 races effectively 6 weekends you know i don't know how much it cost the riders to do it But that was one of the critiques that people had. It was like, yeah, it's a lot of money to do all these events. And this prize is is huge, but it's not the same as having sponsors who come in at the beginning of the year and say, here is X number of thousands of dollars guaranteed, no matter what, go forth and race. Being able to like present that you are a part of the Lifetime Grand Prix to potential sponsors is obviously a really good incentive for sponsors to get on board with your program. Like um, Cole and Sevilla, for example, were able to kind of make their own little couple team um, with Orange Seal as the main sponsor. And it got a little bit into their story. I wish that had gotten more into their story, but you do you, you do hear Cole saying like they just had enough money to get to every event, but at the same time, their van looks really nice. So I don't know how much they were really roughing it. <laughs> when I first heard about van life and the concept of van life from listening to an interview of, you know, Kenty, uh, Don on the Grodio, I was kind of like, all I ever think about when I think about van life is van down by the river from Saturday night live. And it's not exactly a flattering concept you know it's <laughs> it's kind of like this is what happens when you make mistakes in life you live in a van but when they showed the vans that these athletes were living in this is it's it's like it's not what it is this is like these are high quality campers and rvs like yeah i mean the van that like pete stetna uh i mean we don't know the details of i'm gonna say gifted to him because i think the van do it or whatever is a sponsor of his but yeah his van is nicer nicer than my apartment like he has he has a better in there than i have here but again that's another another perk of the job right like they know that they're going to be a part of this series the series is going to have a lot of media coverage will like do up your van for you and then all you have to do is like tag us and everything and show it off just yeah one more example of how just being in the series is something to put on like your palmar or your resume almost for those who i think i'm not going to say spoiler alert because the series ended in october and if you don't know who won it already i i can't help you i'm sorry so like on the women's side you know the top three finishers sarah sturm in third place I'm going to butcher this name a hundred times, even though I've heard it 5,000 times. Sophia Gomez Villafane. Is that how it like nod your head guys? If I'm even getting close, thank you. And then Haley Smith is the overall winner. And, and to be honest, there was a tie between Sophia and Sarah for, for second, they both had 134 points. So I'm, I I'm guessing there was a tiebreaker within the rules that split them out on the men's side. You know, Russell Finsterwald finishes in third. Alexi Vermeulen, the former World Tour professional bike racer, in second. And Keegan Swenson finishes in first place. 
there were rules regarding how many events that you had to participate in in order to, you know, be the overall in the overall competition. But at the same time, you, you know, one out of the six was dropped automatically. So there were some guys, I think, like Pete Stetna and, uh, you know, ended up getting sick for one of the races. And so was Cole Patton. He was sick for one of the races. So, you know, it wasn't a attendance competition as much as, you know, your local best all around rider is, but you know, you had to be there. You had to be a competitor. I want to talk first and foremost and do this in the way that they teach you in business leadership school, two positives and a negative about the documentary series. And, you know, talking about what happened, looking at how they put forward the information and, and how it was all put together. And so, you know, Celine, I think we we decided unilaterally that we would start with you because you you as I as I understand it, love it when we put you on the spot. So um you can go first. Give us two positives and a negative regarding, you know, your your overview of, of the series. So 30,000 foot level. The biggest positive was just that it felt like you were a part of it, watching it. You, you really got a good sample of each of the races, the characters that were there. The interviews were very honest from what I could tell. Sometimes it felt like the interviewer didn't realize they were being recorded. It was it seemed that honest. And so it really felt like you were there and you were a part of it. And I really liked that because I think that could get a lot more people engaged in something like this. Another positive, I really enjoyed how they organized each of the episodes where there were some personal portraits. They presented the course profile and why it would be epic. And then they actually broke down the race for you. And the way they got you into the race, like with the music and the announcing, it just really hyped me up. And just to like feel those positive emotions from something that you're watching, I think is very positive. <laughs> and then the one negative I had is I wish that they would have gone into some of the characters more deeply and at least had a small portrait of everybody. Like, I know it's 30 athletes, well, 30 men, 30 women, it's a lot of ground to cover. But I think every one of those athletes deserved a little bit of screen time, just something, anything. What about you, Alan? You're second. That's how we decided this would work, right? Yeah. I'll start with my negative just because it's basically the same thing. You know, like a, a promise that Lifetime Grand Prix made to the athletes was that they, by being a part of the series, they were going to get all of this exposure. But through the course of the, the six episodes, they really only talked about like or like had in-depth interviews with four men and four women essentially. So there's a lot of people that just never kind of got the exposure that I feel they were promised through this. And, you know, that might be just sort of a growing pains thing. Like, I don't know what size of crew they were operating with. So, it, you know, it's hard to, to find the time and manpower to interview everybody. But I sort of feel that that would have just made the series a lot more dynamic and, get the people watching like more invested in the series. Yeah, I guess my positives are also sort of the same. Them releasing this in the winter was great because I watched them all while I was on the trainer and it got me like really just pumped to race again and even wanting to do a lot of the events that they showed. I've never necessarily wanted to do Crusher and the Tusher before because it's just like at elevation and super steep climbs. But after watching that episode, I was looking to see when it was and if I could fit it in my calendar. I also really liked, I think they did sort of accomplish what they set out to do, which is making American cycling and this gravel racing and mountain bike, but specifically the gravel events, which again, like crits is kind of an American specific like cycling discipline they really brought that sort of to the forefront and through these videos showed you what it is all about when you're on the front doing more of like, you know, the racing part of it versus just being what's the word, a participant, I guess. And, you know, just doing the event to try and finish They're They're showing you 
like why these races are so competitive and why everybody is wanting to be involved and go do them, which, you know, I think is great for gravel racing, but also just cycling on the whole. For me, I got to start and say the production quality was incredible. Like Cold Collaborative and and the director and company founder, Shannon Vandeveer, they did an incredible job pulling together thousands of hours of audio and video probably it was no small task what they were asked to do and they presented a a visually stunning uh well-produced docu-series so like if you just want to see a bunch of really cool video and imagery from parts of the united states that you might not normally go to like this is it like I had no idea what Big Sugar was like or, you know, how just awe-inspiring, you know, the Tusher Mountains were, you know, like this was great. It was absolutely wonderful, great. And another positive is like, I did love getting to know the athletes. I think I had heard Sarah Sturm on a podcast once and, you know, when you hear somebody talk, it's one thing, but when you get to see like their reaction and the way that they're, they carry themselves, that's like so much more valuable. So like getting to see these people interact and getting to see the way they present themselves face forward, chin out, sort of like, this is who I am. I loved it. As far as a critique, the one thing I, I, I think this is kind of similar to what both of you said is like, I'd love to know more Sometimes I felt like it was a little bit surface, you know, like the dive was not deep enough. There were things that were skirted over. There might've been a little too much, in my opinion, time spent on the lifetime part of it, you know, and talking with the the founder of Lifetime. And I wish that some of those minutes were spent rather than, you know, focusing on him, focusing on the athletes, maybe having a couple more people. And like, we have to be, clear up front here, you know, there was a terrible tragedy that was a part of the Lifetime Grand Prix series. You know, you cannot watch the first episode of this pot of this documentary and not remember Mo Wilson and her tragic murder. You know, there is a lot that's there. And when the documentary presents it, you know, you have to be ready to see and hear from her in that first episode, which is not easy for a lot of people who knew and cared about her, or even for those who not necessarily were touched by her, but know about it. And in the documentary just, just doesn't do justice what was going on there. Cause you see her, you see a discussion about her and then they do a, a nice epilogue that just says that this episode was dedicated to her, you know, a lot of this documentary is not for the person who didn't know something coming into it. So you kind of had to bring in a little bit of your own background knowledge or else you were going to be lost for the first few episodes. Yeah. I think when we first were talking about it, I was of the opinion that it wasn't necessarily their like job to say anything about it. But the more I have like thought on that, I think that, they really could have done more. And, you know, a tragedy like that, it's always, it's a very sensitive subject. Like you have to tread lightly, but also to just sort of say, this is like dedicated to her, but we're not going to say anything else. It's just like, if you don't know what happened, then this person is just all of a sudden out of the film. And yeah, it just feels like they could have done a little bit more to address that and sort of pay their respects to her and like give her the the light that she really deserved. But again, like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to be too critical on, on a subject like that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. I just wish that there was something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's lay out kind of what we know about the documentary uh, that's not necessarily presented when you first start it. So it's six episodes, each episode's 30 plus minutes long. Um, the first and the final episode are co-ed. They're about the men and the women. The intermediate four episodes are split. One episode about 
the men's competition, one episode about the women's competition. So there were six events. Each episode is about a different event. But with Unbound, for example, you only get to hear about the men because that's the second episode. With Crusher, you only get to hear about the women. There is a blurb, basically, in the following episode that talks about the opposite. But that's not explained at the outset. It's just one of those things that you like you sit there and you go, what the heck? We're at the end of this episode about Unbound and I didn't hear a darn thing about the women's winner. Like why, like I need to know who won. And then you get 30 seconds at the first, the, the beginning of the third episode that talks about all of those accomplishments. So, you know, keep that in mind while you're watching it. I wonder if that was a decision that they made like ahead of time, because it seems like, like with the Unbound episode, well, the men's race was really good, but you know, there's like a lot of storylines happening that you just don't get uh, because they opted to like not be focusing on the women at Unbound. So all you see is like 30 seconds of like what little sort of B-roll they got. I could be wrong. I don't want to, sorry to interrupt, but I could be wrong, but I think they focused on the men with the like mass start events and then they were able to focus on the women where they had separate starts. I do know from talking to at least one of the competitors that the competitors were aware of it going in. Yeah. Like you see, um, Haley Smith shared something on her social media. And one of the comments was about that. They felt like lifetime prioritized, like the higher profile events for the men. Cause you know about Leadville and unbound and you don't know as much as about crusher and Schwamigan. I don't know. Schwamigan. 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 Yes. Chekamagawan. Shout out to Casey Hildebrandt for telling me how to pronounce that correctly. But then Haley, Haley kind of was like, I appreciate your comment, but um, Crusher is also extremely challenging. And while it's only 65 miles, it is 10,000 feet of climbing, which is literally the same amount as Unbound, but in like less than half the distance. So it's legendary in and of itself. And I mean, Schwamigan was pretty epic too, like with the mud and the conditions and stuff. So little known fact Haley Smith, who won the overall competition, is not Haley Smith who raced on Wolfpack. <laughs> this is a fact. <laughs> that this was something that was hard for me to comprehend. I was just like, but I I, I know Haley Smith, but sh- this was, uh, th- oh my god, I, there can be two women with the same name in bike racing. That's impossible. So I want to start with you know episode two to answer the broad question that I think everybody comes to us to to talk to or to talk about or get our take on it. There is a, a question in this world of what is the spirit of gravel? I know it's the hottest issue of all. And there is a Peter Stetna moment in that first, uh, in, in the first couple of episodes that is like a sinners in the hands of an angry God, Puritan, preacher moment where he he I, I thought he was going to start crying when he was talking about the spirit of gravel yeah man dude yeah I feel like he came out of that like looking like I don't want to be harsh but like such a loser <laughs> like because he's saying one thing and then literally everybody else that they're talking to is just saying the exact opposite thing and it's just feeling like like their opinions are like, man, it's just because you can't hack it. Like you're not hacking it. So you're just leaning in on this like spirit of gravel thing and how you're like the chosen one. Like, and Pete himself said that multiple times, like, Oh, I've been given this like title as the like purveyor of gravel or some nonsense. And that he gets to choose or it's like up to him to say what the spirit of gravel is. And every time they interviewed him, I was just like shaking my head at it. Celine, do we know from watching this docu-series what the spirit of gravel actually is? And, and keep in mind, this docu-series is not about the mullet end of the race. This is the business up front part of the, the of it. So like, do we know what the spirit of gravel is? I think Haley Smith knows what the spirit of gravel is. Okay, can you enlighten us? I mean, every she kind of got a little like heady towards the end, and I really liked it. <laughs> um, she's talking about how like these long endurance events, you just have to find this flow state, and when you really reach, you become one with the spirit of gravel. Like you don't even have a concept of time, really. Like Crusher can go by and you win and 
that was your day, um, which is exactly what happened to her. But I think it's kind of up to everyone to find their own spirit of gravel. But um, that's my answer. Yeah. Alan, I mean, you do gravel. You've done a lot more gravel than I have. You've been competitive in the gravel sphere. You know, what is it? Like, do you know what the, like, from watching this, do you have a, a better understanding of what it is that you've known all this time that is the spirit of gravel? Well, I guess, like you said, this is, we're not talking about the mass start, like mass participation aspect of gravel with this series, right? We're talking about the race portion. And I think what has drawn so many people to it isn't like the adventure or, I mean, the lack of cars is nice, but it's that these races are like really fucking hard. And it's really cool to have a one day race where you can go out and just like smash your face off for four to six hours, whatever, and just have really competitive and good racing the whole day through like, you know, there's road, sometimes there's single track just through like such a variety of surfaces and course types that it really just keeps the racing scene super fresh, super new and yeah, easy, easy to enjoy, I suppose, and finish the day feeling like you've really accomplished something, right? Because like, whether you're a racer or a participant, that's what everybody's really chasing is that feeling of I accomplished something that was really hard. And yeah, racing gravel and the like endurance mountain of bike events that they're doing really provide that feeling. Yeah, I mean, at 10,000 feet and 65 miles, like getting through Crusher is no small feat and doing 200 plus miles for Unbound is no small feat. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that that portion of Kansas is not the portion of Kansas that you all know about. It's the rolling hill part of Kansas where, yeah, they're not mountains, but after 200 miles, going up your driveway is a challenge. Going up the steps is a challenge. So, you know, these are these are accomplishment based events, which is weird because we're talking about a huge competition among professionals, like peak physical performance human beings. And, you know, even for them, finishing is an accomplishment. Like there are multiple people who were a part of this competition who did not. That was it. This was like, yep, we're done. You know, like Leadville, Leadville, like you, you have to like shop for oxygen in Leadville. It is so far up there. So, you know, I regret not having paid more attention to this series during the time that it was actually happening. I was probably busy doing something. I'm sure I can only imagine what it was. Maybe Intelligentsia or Toad or Crit Championships or a lot of things. But like for you two, were you actively involved? Were you watching what was going on? Celine, did you, you know, follow along in real time as... We went from Sea Otter to Unbound, you know, to Crusher to Leadville. Yeah, I mean, uh, mostly on social media, I just paid attention, especially after Sophia won Unbound because I got to know her while I was in Tucson at the home stretch. Um, I got really into it and just was rooting for her. But yeah, I think just in general, it was cool to follow along like a proper series and just see the highs and lows. And a lot of the athletes were really just genuine and transparent, especially Sarah Sturm about the highs and lows that they were experiencing. And I'm really glad that they did this docu-series about it. Like this moment in episode three keeps standing out to me when Sarah's chasing her dog Norman because he's chasing a chicken. And she was just like laughing um, before, was this, was it? Uh, yeah, it was Crusher. And she points out that like normally there's this spot on her bus that she cries at before races, but Norman kind of snapped her out of that funk by chasing the chicken. And that really resonated with me because I thought I was the only person who cried before races. And I thought I was weird for that. Like Alan knows firsthand I was crying in Marfa, Texas before a gravel race last summer and then ended up finishing third. And when she said, like, sometimes you wonder why you do this and then you just do it like that really. Maybe that's the spirit of gravel. Why do you do it? And then you just do it. (laughs) I just love that she berated the dog because he was allergic to poultry. (laughs) He's got a bunch of feathers in his mouth and just like, you're, you're allergic to poultry, Norman. You can't script that sort of thing. 
but like Alan, you know, you're up there, uh, in, in, in the hill country in, in Boise, like, were you following along? Yeah, for sure. Flowtrack, to their credit, tried to live stream a lot of the events, which I think is a thing everybody wanted, right? Everybody wants to be able to watch as it happens, but, you know, with a race the length of Unbound or even the Sea Otter mountain bike race, like, it's just so long, it gets so spread out that what can you really do? But definitely on Instagram, just following, like, I guess, writers that I like because they're generally do a pretty good job of posting before and after the races and what's going on so yeah through the whole series i had a pretty good idea of like who was where in the standings and what races were coming up stuff like that it was cool so before watching the series you know what was your kind of impression post event so like Obviously, the whole thing had been done and, you know, none of us were at any of these particular races, but, you know, we knew generally what had happened. You know, what was the impression that you came into this docuseries with? For me, like, again, a little bit of snark thrown in here, like. I knew that there was going to be a lot of complaining about arrow bars and people not waiting in feed zones because that's like. When I am presented gravel, that is what I'm presented with. You know, the constant debate about like, oh, so-and-so left that feed zone or didn't stop. That violated the spirit of gravel. I don't know. Like, I've never been there. Like, I'm sorry. But like, you know, Alan, since you were just talking a second ago, you know, coming into the series, you know, coming into watching it, you know, what had been your impression of the Lifetime Grand Prix? Uh, good question. I mean, I came into the series itself with like no expectation just because I didn't even know they were ma- making the series throughout all of the events. So I was mostly just excited to watch. But yeah, I guess from like a broad perspective, gravel beef, as it were, is like just pretty hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> It's like rich people fighting about their dumb rich problems, I guess. So I was excited when we started getting into those episodes just to hear everybody's thoughts, hoping that it would be a bit more unfiltered than it actually ended up being. I think they were still keeping it like playing a little coy. I was disappointed that SBT didn't end up being a part of it because that was like the big controversy of Keegan and Finsty not stopping at an aid station and just keeping on going uh, and that like that event drew up a bunch of a bunch of controversy and drama but i mean drama is what makes things interesting right it's gives it's kind of a light-hearted sort of i don't know different storyline to focus on besides the racing itself so it's all it's all pretty silly to me did your views of things change by virtue of getting to go back and rewatch, basically relive what you had been a part, not necessarily a part of, but it had been a part of your life over the course of the summer. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, you just really get more of a feel for how competitive it is and how seriously they were having to take it with, you know, their training and then the racing itself. Like everyone was obviously really committed, really dedicated. Uh, and when that's the case, like tensions run high, passions run high. So it was just, you know, you, you, kind of get a feel for that via social media but getting to see it in video form like that really was was pretty cool what about you celine what did you come into it with kind of similar to alan i didn't really have any expectations like you really you get snippets of it from social media but you only ever get one side of the story which is the people who you're following through the all of what is happening um so it was nice that the documentary just even the way that they cut the interviews to place them back to back, um, some of the contrasting opinions. But I don't know. I feel kind of bad for Stetna. I don't know. Like, I think he had a lot going on this year. Like, he had twins. His dude was probably sleep deprived. And this was like, I don't know, like a, a last hurrah before fatherhood. And then all these youngsters come in and start messing up his version of the spirit of gravel like he just i think was struggling with the change but by the end you do realize like he processes that and he realizes like it is changing and he needs to adapt if he's gonna keep enjoying what he's doing so i feel for the dude 
I think he did get kind of, I think him and Sophia kind of got thrown under the bus by the filmmakers. Well, that's a really great point there. Like a lot, a lot of goods. I mean, every good story has to have a villain. Yeah. And Sophia comes out of this presented kind of like the villain. She won't even watch it. There's a moment in episode five where I I have to imagine it was a, a, a an offhanded, you know, sarcastic quip. But like she's like talking about, I think it was Hannah Otto and how she would intentionally crash her out or something like that. No, um, that wasn't with it was um, it wasn't Hannah, but she did say something kind of rude about. Well, that could come across as rude. She was like, if Hannah could win Leadville, I could win Leadville. But that was oh, gosh, who was the athlete? It was someone who wasn't even a part of the the Lifetime series. Oh, yeah. That was the Schwamigan yeah. incident. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I feel like people were more or were as honest as she was. Like, I think that's what the sport sort of needs. Like, there's always so much within cycling just, I don't know, playing dumb almost or just like not talking about your feelings and what you're actually thinking. And it's obviously in crit racing, we've seen it go too far in the other direction. But again, that's like, you know, if you hold your feelings in for too long, if you keep just trying to push them down inside of you, then like that's how it comes out. So, and it's totally accepted in other sports, but for whatever reason, when people really speak their minds in cycling, it usually gets like silenced by the general population. But I would love to see more people really just be upfront and honest about like, yeah, what they're feeling and being competitive and aggressive and confident in themselves. It would make for a lot more interesting storylines so it's funny to hear like you say that they were trying to make her seem like the villain i think everybody should have had that mindset well absolutely i mean so episode three was by far my favorite like i got chills when they showed her crossing the line and she's talking about how she's willing to lose to win um and i sent her a message and i was like dude i have chills i'm on the trainer i'm so hyped And then she was like, I can't watch it. And then as I kept watching the series, I kind of understood why she didn't want to watch it. And people had told her that they made her look kind of like a bitch. But I came to the conclusion that it's a total double standard. Because if there was a male, say Keegan, saying these things, he would come across as like intense and hardcore. And she, they just like, I don't know, called her a bitch. (laughs) Well, who was the the male athlete who refused the detente, the about no arrow bars at Unbound. Was it Keegan or was it uh, Payson? I can't remember. No, Keegan was willing to do no arrow bars if everyone did it. Then it must have been Payson who said no, basically. No, it was one of the Euros. It was one of the, the, where they come from, Slick and what's-his-face. Lars, Tindam. Mm-hmm, yeah, yep, yep. No, 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 no. Lawrence Tindam, are you kidding? Yeah. Did you miss the moment where he was like, I wanted to put on a show, all this bullshit about aero bars, just want my legs to do the talking. That's why he did that suicide move. Well, yeah, but his whole thing was like he wanted aero bars, but since they were making a big deal about it, like he was going to go off the front without them anyway and be like, I can still do it. But they were the ones who were like, no, man, like aero bar, it's just like part of the deal. It's part of racing. Let me put them on. But, you know, when when I spoke to some of the folks who were a part of the series, you know, talking about that Unbound episode, like he just doesn't get it. This guy doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. Like everybody was, you know, there for the event and for the the, the spirit of gravel, you know, quote unquote. But he was trying to be professional about it and didn't care. All he was interested in would do and was winning. And I was just like, you put money on the series. You put money in this. Like, wait, who who are we talking about? I think it's I think it's Payson. I really do. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Like we're talking about the characters, the people who are a part of this. Like, are these people, Celine, that obviously you're a fan of Sophia? You know, are you are these people who you want to compete against? Like after watching them, like, would you? race with Rose Grant if she decides to not retire? Would you, you know, race with Sophia? Would you, you know, race with Sarah and Hannah and all of them? Are these people that you're like, yeah, I watched you. I'm ready. Let's go. 
I mean, if I was strong enough to say that I raced with them and not just started with them, I would 100% want to race with them. They seem great. And the mountain biker that we were talking about, Schwamigan, I think it was Kelsey Urban. That was who Sophia said she looks forward to crashing out (laughs) in the future. Alan, like with the guys, you know, are these guys that you would want to actually hang out with in real life? Like if Pete Stetton, you know, was in Boise and he's just like, hey, I'm down at Necker. You want to grab a coffee? Would you be like, yeah, sure, Pete. I'll be down there in five. I mean, Pete Stetna specifically, maybe not. <laughs> no, no offense, but I don't think we'd have much to talk about. Uh, but in general, like, yeah, I feel like everybody who is trying and like I am I, like friends with a bunch of the guys who did uh, the lifetime last year and are going to do it again this year. Uh, yeah, I think we're all like similar mindsets, competitive people like enjoy these types of rides. So absolutely. I'd hang out with those guys. Maybe not the dudes at the front end, but I just want to point out that Alan has been in a breakaway with Pete Stetna at, uh, Rebecca's private Idaho. So he has in fact raced with Pete Stetna. Yeah. And he's soft pulled the whole time because he didn't trust me to make it to the finish. Does he not know who he's dealing with? He's dealing with the guy who almost got into the winning breakaway at Joe Martin stage race last year. I mean, you spent almost the entire, what was it? Second day, the Mount Sequoia race off the front. Yeah. After chasing the first breakaway back. Clearly, he doesn't listen to the podcast as much as he should. Hopefully, he doesn't listen to this episode. Do you think that these athletes walked away from this competition with greater influence in the sphere of of bike racing? Like, do you think that this was a net positive socially and professionally for them? We'll start with you, Celine. Yeah, I mean, even just from something as seemingly insignificant as Instagram followers. I forget the exact statistic, but all of the women in the series had growth on their accounts, which can be used to market themselves to sponsors to make more money and be able to do this on like a more sustainable level. So from that end of things, I would say it's been very positive, especially for women to have the same amount of exposure as, um, as the men in the series. What about you, Alan? Do you think that there was a a positive. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the dream is always to be able to make a living racing your bike. And that is changing from how it traditionally has been done. But that I think is a very good thing. And something like this for the exact reason that Celine just mentioned, not necessarily the prize purse at the end, but being able to market yourself allows you to live that life. And I think that's really awesome and great. And the people at the top of cycling in this country deserve to be able to make a living doing it. And that's the only way it's going to work. I mean, like if you're going to be professional athletes, you're going to need to have that professional lifestyle. I think the three of us are a testament to what working professionals can do in sport. But if we had the capacity to do what we do full time and live the same quality of life that we do now, there's so much more that we could do, not only from performance perspectives, but from business development perspectives and personal branding and outreach and development for for those who come after us. Like, you know, there's only so much time in the day. And when eight hours of it at least is dedicated to doing the thing that pays for your passion, you know, like, How many of us are listening to this right now on our trainer in the basement at like 730 at night after putting the kids to sleep sort of thing? Um, I want to talk about, you know, the dangerous part about mountain biking. And as I've come to learn more and more about gravel racing is that the um, technology aspect of it is a bottomless pit of potential sources of information and controversy. I had almost bought a mountain bike during the pandemic. I had almost bought a mountain bike. And then I was told that the mountain bike that I was getting ready to buy was a great mountain bike for cross country on the West Coast, but not great mountain biking on the East Coast. What? I think it was a, it was a specialized Epic, I think I was looking at, or I might be, there's a lot of like, 
the head tube is slacker here and this and and it just I knew that I was getting into something that I didn't have the technical gravamen or expertise to be willing to spend the $7,500. And plus I couldn't find one in a 56 at that point in time during the pandemic. So I saved myself that money. But, you know, Alan, you're, you're a gearhead going into these sports. Like, do you think that they spent enough time during the documentary talking about the nuts and bolts of the technology of the bikes and the technology of training and the physical part? Well, the first half of just the tech of the bikes, I think they did, which was very, very minimal for the sort of entertainment value of this series. I think pretty much not touching on it is great. It could be given that it was a YouTube series, like it would be really interesting to see, you know, like a a bikes of the Grand Prix sort of standalone episode where they go through and the riders could talk about their bikes. And especially since a lot of their sponsors are usually the ones giving them bikes and parts and stuff, it would sort of allow them to like showcase their sponsors that way. I think definitely more in training would be interesting for next year, seeing how much time really goes into, you know, the one day of racing that you actually get to watch could be could be very interesting. What about you, Celine? Yeah, I agree. In terms of entertainment value, having a standalone episode would be really cool so that the people who nerd out about that can just like have this episode. And then if that's not something that interests the viewer, they don't have to process it. In terms of training, I I do feel like they addressed it a little bit. Like everyone's training regimen was fairly different. And even things like their race day plans were very different. Like Keegan's saying that everyone's overthinking it. You just got to eat sugar and that's it. He's just like good to go. And then you've got Hannah like strategically marking out at which point in the race she's going to take how many calories or grams of carbohydrates, et cetera. And like they ask Sarah about her, her training and she's like, I'm the wrong person to ask about this. Um, <laughs> um, cause everyone's training is so different. It could be cool to also have like I don't know, just like a rider profile episode so you can watch a little mini episode about each rider and they can talk about their personal training and like what they like to do. Because I would love to know what Sarah does. Like, what do you do that is different from everyone else? Because it's obviously working for her. I mean, she's crushing it Um, versus someone like Sophia, who does seem very pragmatic and like she has a very regimented training program. Um, I'd be very interested in knowing more about that. But again, I don't know if the average viewer would be. Yeah, there was a really funny scene from the Unbound episode where they're talking to Payson, who's in like this giant (laughs) RV from Allied, and he's got his remarkable like digital notebook. And he's marking down like every gram of carbs he's going to take and like exactly what minute of the race he's going to take it. And they cut to Keegan and he has that line. He's like, yeah, man, it's just sugar and water. Like, I'm just going to take it all in and go. It's just like it couldn't be more different. And it was perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like glad that was in there. But if they did also have like individual rider profiles as they should. Right. Like if you're promising all this exposure. Yeah, that'd be great. I don't know if these are the right athletes to do the emotional, mental discussion. Like if they did a good enough job presenting the wear and tear, I think that the women were a little bit more open and honest about that. Kind of shock that women would be more in touch with their emotion and physical and mental well-being. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> News at 11, water is wet. Um, is it though? Sorry. That's, <laughs> we don't have time. We don't have time. God, <laughs> God I, I saw that TikTok too. Uh, you know, like, is did they do a good job in explaining not just how physically demanding being this good at this heart of an endeavor is, but did they do a good job of explaining how emotionally just draining this is to to just go out there and slog at something that's it's not sexy at all like there is no like okay yeah the unbound episode had a sprint finish but it's not like a dash you know 200 meters at the end of a 60 minute crit this is hard work i i don't know i think gravel racing is sexier than crits (laughs) hot take the clock (laughs) oh wow it's getting towards that time isn't it (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but Celine, honestly, do you think that they they hit the issues of of the mental and emotional training capacity? I think even on the women's side, they didn't spend too much time on it, but it also wasn't like there was so much that they had to cover that I don't know that that was really something that they would want to focus on. Like they did get into it a little bit with Haley's orthorexia and Sarah mentioning that she went into like a depression and placing all of her value in these results to the point that fourth at Leadville seemed like a failure to her because she wanted to win. So like those were moments that kind of glanced on it. And I thought that was important, but I don't know that it necessarily would have been with the overall theme to really like fixate on that. It's also tough because you can only work with as much as the athletes give you, right? Like they could be asking these questions and then, yeah, they have to take what little they might have and like chop it up even more to fit into the episode. But as endurance athletes, you also, whether you are like very in touch with your emotions or not, like don't want to give off the image of like, oh, I'm struggling. Like the whole thing is you want to appear strong. And even in an interview sort of environment, that sort of mentality can still come to the forefront. So it's tough to say that like they didn't touch on it at all when maybe they did, but just they only could work with what they had. Well, and that's like Sophia in episode three is the perfect example of that. Because at the beginning of the episode, you're like, holy shit, this woman has so much confidence and she's going to destroy everybody. You're like, I wish I could have that much confidence because she's just like, yeah, I'm going to mess you up. And then like there's a shift and it's like she's talking to her dietitian and she's like, yeah, I'm taking a week off the bike, but I haven't been talking about it because I don't want anyone to know how messed up I am. And I feel like that, just that in and of itself, like everyone had to have been going through that at some point, but to just like see her being open about that. I really think she was the most open person throughout the entire series. And yeah, people can villainize her, but I respect her for it. I think there's like potential for people to get really involved in these narratives as well, which is why I wish there was a little bit more because like there could be this whole like Team Sophia, Team Kelsey Urban and then there's like a rivalry kind of thing and like a fan base that grows and yeah I don't know which is what we need right like to grow the sport you need fan bases and you need like people to take sides uh so yeah like being open like that is what allows that to happen so well do you think that there was any manufactured drama like there's legit drama I mean it's sport it's competition people want to be better than somebody else they're going to push and fight and struggle to make themselves better. But then there's the F1 drive to survive drama, like the, you know, come on, Daniel Ricardo is just, just let it go, dudes. Like dial it back a little bit. You're trying to, you're cutting things to make it look worse than it is. Um, you know, like, do you think that there was any manufactured drama or if there was manufactured drama, it was just creative usage of overly dramatic music? I don't know. I don't feel like they manufactured anything, really. But yeah, definitely not drama. Like, I wouldn't say that this series is in any way, like, over-dramatized. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think sometimes the way that they cut things, like placing certain clips back-to-back, generated a narrative. But I don't think it was manufactured. I think it just allowed us to kind of visualize it how it might have (laughs) happened. I had never watched, to my knowledge, like a real mountain bike anything like in my bike racing life. I think I've seen a couple of short track cross country sort of uh, highlight clips on Red Bull TV. So like seeing a full 30 plus minute episode about a mountain bike race was kind of new for me. I got to, this is me making an admission of, of naivete or foolishness, but like one stupid thing that I learned, a fact that I learned that I didn't know going into it that's somewhat embarrassing to admit is like, I didn't know that uh, Crusher and the Tusher was actually not a corny, like, reference. I I thought it was just like this, like, I just, I don't know, like gravel and mountain biking has always struck me as being somewhat ironically funny. And I thought it was like a play on words for Tusher for Tushy. And like, I didn't know it was the Tusher Mountains and Crusher for the Cold Crush. 
the you know the the epic climb at the backside of the race like so like there i learned something from this 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 effort you know that these the crusher and the tusher was not being too witty by half did you guys learn anything like that isn't it wait isn't it though is colder crush a real thing or did they just name it that like for the race maybe they did i don't know i know that like the tusher mountains are just legit mountains in Utah, but I don't know about the cold. That that does sound a little too. Although we have a mountain named Bogus Basin here, so who knows? I feel like Crusher and the Tusher is a play on words because I don't know. But obviously because of the Tusher Mountains. Well, now we're going to have a whole bunch of people commenting. Yeah, let us know. Is it a play on words? Let us know. <laughs> so, you know, wrap up here, like... Would you guys, if they do it again next year in 2023 and they do a documentary uh, for the the series, like, first off, are you going to watch the actual racing this year? Like, follow along. I mean, probably just on Instagram still, because I don't know if they're going to live stream it, but that's like six hours. You're never going to get back. (laughs) Yeah, I think they'll probably give up on the I mean, they literally gave up on the live stream midway through last year, but Despite that, like, definitely. There's plenty of Instagram pages that will live stream it just with, like, their Instagram stories. And those are all really fun to watch and a good way to sort of get to check in on it throughout the day. And if Cold Collaborative comes back in 2023 with another six-episode series, you know, based on what we saw this year, is that something that you're going to watch? Dude, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like our only criticism was that we wanted to see like more of what they had. (laughs) So as far as I'm concerned, they could like do 12 episodes and I would still be fully invested in all of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I love Drive to Survive and I don't watch F1. So me saying that I'm not going to sit and watch six hours of live stream absolutely does not mean that I won't watch another docuseries. I love this docuseries. Remember, sometimes as a lawyer, I have to ask stupid questions or questions that appear stupid because I need to hear the answer. And so, you know, I think all of us can admit that we would watch, we will watch the next version of this. I mean, like, I am counting the days until Welcome to Wrexham season two comes out because I was addicted to that show for the first year and started following Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney on, on Instagram. And I now know that as of today, February 13th, that Wrexham is in second place in the English national league. Like, I don't know if that was the goal of the documentary, but like they accomplished that and lifetime I don't know if the goal of the documentary was to get me to watch the documentary or to get me to watch your, to go out and ride a gravel bike, but it accomplished that too. So like, I think it's a positive. They gotcha. They got me. It's, it's sad that they don't want a 44 year old crit racer, uh, for the lifetime grand prix. I'm, I, I don't understand how my application just was not accepted. Oh wait, I didn't put one in, but <laughs> he says after the fact, I think the real question is how do we, Like, how do we convince the NCL that, you know, this is doing something similar with their new league is like well worth a portion of their $7 million funding that they got this year? Because it seems like it's like the perfect environment, right? You got four races in the league. You've only got four teams. Like, it'd be really easy to just like follow each and every team through all these races. Uh, And if they really want to revolutionize cycling in America, then... This seems like a good opportunity. We'd have to get it through the gauntlet of Alice and the intern at the NCL, but I think we can do it. <laughs> we'll just keep pushing them for it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like this is what Bill Shiken has been talking about for years. The uh, ABC Wide World of Sports coverage of of bike racing, you know, comes out periodically or shortly thereafter the event actually happened and it's a a saturday afternoon thing where you're just like here let me present to you something that you don't see on monday tuesday wednesday or thursday and that can't possibly compete with the football basketball and baseball monoliths you know here's a 30 minute thing that accomplishes what a four-hour football game does not which is engages me yeah i mean shit dude like the golf channel exists that's 24 hours of golf, which is like 90% people just walking on grass. 
but we can't get, I don't know, blows my mind. I want to know who you guys think is going to win this year's version, but like, that's kind of unfair to ask. Keegan is going to win. But like Starla Tedegren is going to be in, in, in the women's side. Like she's going to get the podcast bump. She's been on this show. Like <laughs> clearly the athletes need to come on the show for the podcast bump. I want her to have a good year. She has had, she's been going through it. I don't know if you followed her medical, her health setbacks over the last year or so, but she's really been going through it. So it's cool to see that she's going to be a part of this and hopefully have like, she's going to be the comeback kid in the series is what I'm hoping for. And if they follow Caroline Mani for the Lifetime Grand Prix, it's just going to be nonstop smiling. <laughs> I mean, like this is, there is, there's, it, this is like never ending. Rebecca Farringer, that's great. Everybody loves T-Bex. Taylor Ledeen. Okay, we got a bunch of crossers this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, Carrie's in there. Good old Carrie Werner. Bruner. Uh, yeah, Bruner. Tobin is in there. I don't know. Does he consider himself to be a crosser or not? But like, there's a lot of good people this year. I think it's, I, I'm going to. That was something we didn't talk that much about was like the roadie versus mountain biker rivalry and i kind of loved that narrative that was happening is it really um, a roadie like is gravel road racing really roadie well no there were road racers that were doing gravel and the mountain bikers doing gravel there was like a little bit of tension there and it was very amusing to me especially hearing cole just straight up say no one wants to be behind the roadies when he was talking about sea otter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do need they do need a dedicated spot for crit racers in this. I think that would be the the end all be all of the Lifetime Grand Prix 2023 series recap call of the wild would be what happened to the guy who was really good at 90 minutes? How did he fare? <laughs> well, what happened to Ashton Lambie? I don't know what happened to the guy who does really good at four minutes. Yeah, less than four minute efforts. <laughs> and has like a world champion gravel bike for whatever reason. How did he, how was he not featured for even a minute? Yeah, I think he had a total of like 10 seconds screen time. That's okay. One of the local bike racers in DC had about that same amount of screen time from just being behind uh, one of the women leaders. I think it was... I can't remember. It was that Big Sugar. He was right there with her the whole time. So, you know, it's all good. Well, guys, thank you so much for the hot takes. It was a good hot take hour. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's fun to talk about something a little out of our, our lane, I guess. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com, your source for the full bevy of shows available on the network. Today's episode was written and produced by all three of us, myself, Alan, and Celine, and then it was edited by me, Rob Kelly. We will be back in two weeks with the final part of this trilogy that we've been doing here that features the media slash marketing slash messaging component of it. And it will be an interview with Michael Marks, the media branding marketing genius behind the Belgian Waffle Ride series of gravel races, who has now decided to also throw his hat in the ring with Criterium Racing. So join us again here next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.